Welcome again, it's, since you didn't hear me before. Um, I'm Cindy Zolnerik with the Texas Nurses Association and happy Friday. With me today is Serena Bumpus, TNA's Director of Practice and Conocus of Asseven, who is our Communications Director. Um, you know, TNA, our mission is empowering nurses to advance the profession. So we're all about advocacy and um, providing a means and um, support for you to have your voice heard. Last week, we did a call to action and asked you to contact your legislators and let them know um, what your key needs were. And we heard loudly it was PPE, so we asked you to engage and let them know of your needs. We are using um, three times as much PPE in the first three months of this year as we did the entire year last year. So we are using more, therefore supplies dwindling and there are concerns about shortages. Um, I heard your your voice was heard because I was hearing from legislators all weekend long trying to better understand what the needs were. And um, certainly they are attentive and very um, supportive of nurses. We are hearing, um, again, concerns about the, um, the supply holding up. We did hear that the national stockpile has been depleted. So um, we, there are a lot of efforts made, being made to ramp up supplies, but that is why if you're seeing in your workplace the um, request to extend and reuse supplies, that, that's where that's coming from. Also last week, um, there, or maybe it was this week, I, time goes by so fast um, these days, but there, from the federal government, there's a lot going on in terms of waivers, in terms of trying to be responsive to um, businesses and employees in, situ in our, our current situation. And it was announced that individuals that are quarantined um, because they believe they've been exposed to COVID-19 um, would receive after from April 1st on would receive two weeks of paid time that would be in addition to whatever paid time off that they had in their PTO banks. However, there was an exclusion for healthcare workers, including nurses. So um, we have come out with a statement saying that nurses should not be included, not be um, excluded from that paid time off um, exclusive of their PTO. The I think the intent was good. It was not to try to get healthcare workers back in the field as quickly as possible. However, we also know that um, it's not may not be safe because we could be um, infected and transmitting the virus. Also, I want to share along that advocacy side. Texas Nurses Association is one of um, 14 groups that are participating in a healthcare industry strike force on COVID-19. Now this strike force is different than that the governor has appointed. It is more of private industry. It is several um, associations, including TNA, the Medical Association, Hospital Association, Home Care and Hospice, the insurance industry, disability groups, et cetera. Um, also the governor's office, as well as Department of State Health Services, um, doctors Lakey, Hellerstadt, and Zerwas are sitting on this group, and we're all looking at strategic planning um, efforts to ensure that we are prepared for when and if a surge 
hits. We have sent several letters to the governor asking for particular waivers, as well as asking that the governor adopt a crisis guidelines for care. You can see more about um, more information on those issues on our, on our website. TNA does have a COVID-19 page with lots of resources. It's updated daily. So um, please don't hesitate to, to reach out to that. So another thing that the strike force is very focused on right now is bed capacity and tracking um, bed capacity, particularly ICU beds and acute care hospital beds, what our current capacity is, what our capacity would be if all hospitals went up to their, their licensure levels, the capacities that may be in the community, freestanding emergency centers, um, surgical centers, other areas that may not be actively um, caring for patients or maybe could easily be converted into acute care or um, ICU beds, as well as looking at into long-term care and other facilities that may be able to be converted to convalescent care if needed. Again, every effort that we're, we're able to make to um, distance ourselves physically from each other and stay home um, ha has a potential to greatly impact the, the possibility of that surge. Um, also want to talk, you know, part of our work as an association, we, we interact a lot with the regulatory agencies and we've worked closely um, with the Board of Nursing on concerns that have been raised to us as well as specific waivers. The Board has been very responsive to those quests, requests and you can find information about waivers both on their website as well as um, on our website in terms of continuing education, in terms of getting nurses who are recently retired back into the workforce if they're interested in doing so, um, et cetera. They, um, also, we came out with a joint statement with the Board of Nursing and the Texas Organization of Nurse Leaders regarding um, how we can work together to be um, supportive, tolerant, and kind in this environment where we're all stressed and everybody's trying to do the best they can. Um, with that, I will hand off to my um, partner, um, Serena Bumpus. Hi, everyone. I hope you are having a good, good Friday. And I wanted to provide a, a few updates. We continue to receive um, questions around PPE and refusal of assignments um, and as it relates to Safe Harbor. Um, we also are receiving questions around prevention and, and how, how can I prevent bringing this home to my family. And then we, we do know that there are nurses out there who, um, who have been furloughed or laid off and, and you know, reaching out to us around what, what they should do and how they can continue to help. So wanted to touch a little bit on those areas. So Safe Harbor, um, a lot of the questions that we have received are um, asking if, if they can if we can refuse an assignment if we don't believe we have adequate PPE to protect ourselves um, from being infected and carrying the virus to others. And so um, our guideline, our guidance, and um, this has been in collaboration with the Texas Board of Nursing, that if our if your employer is following CDC or the Department of State Health Services recommendations regarding PPE and infection control, that we should not refuse assignments to patients with known or suspected COVID-19. 
um, if we're if we question the alignment of our employers practices with the CDC or the Department of State Health Services, then that's a conversation that we need to have with our managers um, or another leader in the hospital um, or an infection prevention resource. Um, we know that the CDC guidelines are being updated consistently in that um, that may provide um, a different kind of guidance. So it, it, as nurses, um, we are accountable for ensuring that we're staying informed with those latest guidelines and, and making sure that we're reviewing the CDC um, guidelines um, consistently because yes, they, <laughs> they do change uh, quite a bit. In addition, um, I would say that around prevention, so there, we we all know that we have concerns in um, in in being in work taking care of patients who are diagnosed or um, persons under investigation, and you know how do we prevent taking this home to our families? I know in my own home we've got that concern. My husband's a paramedic, and he he is front and center um, with caring for for these patients as well, and. And so hopefully if you are a nurse who's been designated to, to work inside the, the, you know, the COVID designated unit, um, you know, if, if, if your organization is able to provide these accommodations, we encourage you to shower and change your clothes before you even walk out of the doors of the hospital. Um, put your clothes in an impervious bag to launder. If they, if they, do, if they lack the facilities for you to change and shower, then create a hot zone in your home. Mine's in my garage and it's got um, a, a plastic container that sits out there. It has hand sanitizer, bleach wipes, um, and gloves in a plastic bag where my husband can come home, he can take his uniform off and he puts it in the, in the plastic tote. He's able to take his boots off as well um, sanitize his hands, wipe his boots down with bleach, and then he brings his clothing into the home and he immediately tosses it in the washer. Um, that hot zone has, um, has, has worked very well for us um, because it is preventing him from, from, from bringing anything inside the home um, and coming into contact with anything else. In addition, um, you know, if you're not able to immediately launder your scrubs for whatever reason, make sure that you are um, using reusable gloves um, to, to, to manage them. Also keep them separated from your family's laundry, um, perhaps in a, a separate hamper, or you line another hamper with a plastic bag um, to keep it separated from everyone else. Those are just some of the ideas um, that that we have have provided for you to ensure that you are keeping your family safe. Um, it's also important that you know if you do become exposed, that you create a plan with your family and um, and, and identify a space in your home or or even outside of the home where you can self quarantine away from others. Um, that includes planning your family meals um, while maintaining that, that distancing of six feet or more. It also means making sure that you have paper plates and plastic forks for you to eat off of so they can be disposed of rather than having to wash and clean. Um, and then you minimize your own areas of contact in your home so you have a plan for disinfection. You um, 
that is a pretty critical component and that's something that you want to engage your family in for sure. Um, so in regards, and we have these practice tips as well on our website um, and on the COVID-19 specific page. So if you, if you need something to reference back to, um, you can go there for sure. With regard to, to nurses who've been furloughed, we know that nurses who, um, we have APRNs who have been furloughed or laid off. We have nurses who work in ambulatory surgical centers who've been furloughed or laid off, and those um, who work in some freestanding emergency rooms as well, um, just due to volumes or the cancellation of elective surgeries and that sort of thing. Um, please don't think you're not needed because you are. We, um, there, you can go to texas.gov and you can um, sign up to be part of the registry. Right now, it's a volunteer registry. The state is, is working to, to gather that list of volunteers, their credentials, um, their skill sets, et cetera, so they can begin to look at um, how uh, we can deploy clinicians to um, various areas of the state if and when that surge of patients hits um, across Texas. I would also encourage you to reach out to your, to your local healthcare organizations. I recognize that these organizations right now are working really hard to cross train their own employees who might not be working as much and volumes are really low. Um, at the same time, a lot of our, our large healthcare systems have float pools that um, they're hiring PRN staff into that might be an option for you. Um, as you as you wait and hope to go back to your original positions um, when when all of this is said and done. So those are just a couple of resources for you to um, to to refer back to. We'll continue to bring up these conversations and I know we're going to have some time here in a little bit for for questions and answers. So I'm going to turn it over to Konica right now, who's just going to give you some of the most recent public health updates. Hi, everyone. Um, if you could please type your comments, questions into the chat window. Uh, we are on a bit of a delay, like a 15-second delay. So type your questions in now, and then we'll be able to get to them um, in a couple minutes here. Um, we have a survey that we um, ask nurses to fill out weekly. Um, and we're hoping to update that survey to add a couple more questions pretty soon. Um, but based on that, um, we've had a couple different questions um, on just the mechanisms of the virus and all of that, we are working on an FAQ to put up on the website um, and to be able to send you guys to the most relevant um, sources of information, such as the CDC and the World Health Organization. Um, one thing that the CDC announced recently, um, this is a pre-published paper that they've put on their website. Um, I believe it has been peer-reviewed. It's ready for publication in July. Um, but they posted it early that shows um, that the R naught, which is the reproductive number or um, how many people the virus can infect from one infected person. Uh, that number previously um, was thought to be around two and a half people. Um, but new data from the CDC, or sorry, new analysis from the CDC is showing that it might actually be five to six people. 
um, that one infected person can infect. Um, so it's a little more contagious than we thought, more infectious than we thought. Um, and so that was some big news that came out this week. Um, we've also had people asking about um, pregnant women, and I'm going to direct everyone to the ACOG site. Um, they've got information there, especially if you're a nurse and you're pregnant and you're worried about that. Um, I remember last week when we did this, um, thus far there hadn't been any proof of vertical transmission, um, but there is now a couple of studies coming out where, um, you know, the mother has transmitted COVID-19 to the fetus um, and the baby's tested positive. So um, that is a slight concern right now. Um, and so please keep checking the ACOG site. Things are changing so quickly um, that uh, information is going to change uh, from week to week. So please keep checking there for the latest information. Um, a couple of other things that I've heard is, you know, um, people are hearing one thing from one source and another thing from another source. The CDC says this, but then they interview a doctor who says this. Um, and one thing to remember, especially um, since the CDC just changed their guidance on masks, is we have to remember there's two aspects. So masks are a physical barrier. If you are sick, masks will help contain the droplets um, from coughs or sneezes so they don't go out into the world and infect other people. Um, but masks can also protect the wearer from inhaling anything. Um, the caveat to this is, and this is why the CDC and the World Health Organization were very hesitant about recommending masks. Um, yes, they're a physical barrier, but we also have to remember human behavior with masks. Um, people who aren't used to wearing masks, and this includes doctors and nurses who are in other settings that aren't used to wearing masks, um, they tend to touch the mask more, they'll pinch the nose more, they'll mess with the cheeks or the straps, and so all of that is extra touching on the face that wouldn't have happened if the mask hadn't been there. That was one of the biggest concerns um, from the CDC and from the World Health Organization before they started recommending that the public start wearing masks. Um, and when the public wears masks, there's still gaps around the top and around the sides, um, and droplets can get in that way. And so that's just something the public needs to be aware of. Try to get them as form-fitting as possible. Get them up to the bridge of the nose, all the way down to the chin, and make sure they go um, closer to the ears and they don't just stop in this little place. They've got to go around. Um, and then another thing is, um, sorry, let me jump to my notes here. Um, decontamination of masks um, for people that are in healthcare. So the CDC has put up a site, um, and we're going to put that on our website pretty soon. Um, yes, disposable respirators are not approved for decontamination, but there have been a lot of studies done on how to decontaminate them, including ultraviolet lights, um, vaporous hydrogen peroxide, um, and then microwaved moist heat. Um, so we're going to post that CDC site for you. Um, this is really, we're in like a crisis situation right now, and that's why this is being recommended. I know that nurses want PPE, um, and in a lot of cases they just, there is no PPE to provide, or the PPE is being, um, you know, stored for those most urgent situations. Uh, droplet precautions are still 
the recommendation right now. I know a lot of nurses have heard in the news um, that it's airborne and all of this. It's not truly airborne the way that measles is. Um, and measles can infect, you know, 12 to 18 people if you're just in a room two hours after someone else with measles has been in the room. That's not how COVID-19 spreads. It spreads mostly through droplets. Um, the only time that it's really in the air is when it's aerosolized, that can happen through breathing. So if you're in very close proximity to someone who is sick and they're breathing, um, or also during um, some procedures like intubations, um, Serena can talk a little bit more about all the nursing uh, terminology. I'm not well-versed on that. Um, but there's several procedures where nurses could be exposed to aerosolized particles. So that's really when we need the N95s. And the surgical masks should be fine for, um, you know, routine procedures. Um, we've seen some innovative things where nurses are putting the pumps outside of the room. So that way they don't even have to enter the room with the patient in it in order to monitor. Um, so please keep sending us your innovative solutions. We want to share them with everybody. Um, and we're going to post all these links on our website, which is texasnurses.org slash COVID-19. There's no dash. Um, and so hopefully you'll be able to use this in your own workplace. Um, and the decontamination procedures, um, they're 90 to 100% effective in removing any sort of virus bacteria from the masks. And so um, this really is a safe way to um, stretch the use of the limited amount of masks that we have. All right, um, so we've got a couple of questions coming in. Um, what is TNA's position on the Texas.gov's voluntary registry being unpaid um, versus RNs being paid for the work that they're doing? Um, so, Cindy, maybe you can answer that one. This, my understanding of how the site works, and Serena and I both had a conversation with um, Department of State Health Services yesterday, is the Texas.gov, it's using the word volunteer. Um, they will provide, and organizations can put in a request that they need, um, they, there are a number of licensed types of healthcare workers that the um, Texas.gov will allow to volunteer. Whatever the organization has requested, then they will provide them of individuals that are in that area. So it's really between the individual and the organization as to whether it's voluntary or whether it's they're being hired. We certainly would support um, nurses being paid for the work that they do. There are individuals that um, may be very willing to volunteer, particularly in maybe the non-clinical roles. There may be roles of, um, I know I've heard um, some clinics that said they could really use a volunteer nurse to help with the advice line about advising patients who needs to actually come in to be seen versus who should stay home because their symptoms aren't severe enough. Um, so there are, and I expect will be opportunities for volunteers, that may be for someone who's retired or, or is able to volunteer, but I think organizations that um, are looking to utilize nurses on the front line caring for COVID individuals um, will be planning to pay those, those individuals. And, and to tag on to that, I would say that the volunteer registry link on Texas.gov is for more than just nurses. It's for right. our first responders, our paramedics, um, for nursing assistants, for the lay public. Um, we know that we will need a variety of different skill sets to, to help manage this pandemic um, when we begin to see that surge of patients. I myself have gone and placed myself on that volunteer registry. 
um, it, because I want to be able to help when I can. And um, I don't I don't want anybody to um, to have to suffer alone. And so you, know, you can volunteer yourself to be on the statewide registry. Um, or you can volunteer with the Medical Reserve Corps within the county or the counties that surround you that you live in. So, for example, um, I live in Williamson County, but I signed up to be on the Williamson County and the Travis County Medical Reserve Corps. And um, I know just from the emails that I have received from them, um, they are starting to, 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 to assess the, the number of volunteers that they have, what their skill sets are, and... Um, you know, if and when they're needed, where they can go and, and what you're comfortable with. So um, I encourage you if you if you're interested to to do that, especially those who are not working in the clinical environment right now, um, you know, it, it will it's going to take the entire village to to help support one another. So um, just something to tag on to that as well, because um, they're they're looking for all types of people. All right, um, we've got a comment here that says, we've heard from our students that employers are freezing hiring so they can't onboard, but they are being offered RN pay as unlicensed personnel in the interim. Many are saying they can't have their residencies, um, but they could have the residencies and follow distancing guidelines. Um, so how can we collaborate with the academics on this? I know that we published something on Tuesday that was a way for um, hospital CNOs and other hiring managers to evaluate whether um, you know they would be able to safely and ethically take on uh, students and continue residencies at this time. Um, and so hopefully that guidance will be useful. Um, but what else do we think? Um, you know, how else can academics help, and how can TNA collaborate on them on this with them? So the question is about the new graduates getting hired to residencies or finishing their clinical rotations? Um, so they, uh, maybe Kim can clarify a little bit here, um, but the comment says that's, that employers are freezing hiring so they can't onboard, um, but they're being offered RN pay as unlicensed personnel in the interim. And I would say I've heard this too, um, and I know because our hospital volumes right now are anywhere from a 30 to 50% capacity rate, um, you know, hospitals are also trying to be frugal because financially this is, this is, this is huge for our healthcare systems. And um, so some organizations have um, established a hiring freeze at this time just to kind of one, take the time to assess their, um, and to assess where their needs are and to cross train their um, the employees that might not be working uh, business as usual, such as those working in the operating room or any other area of perioperative services, um, this is a good time for them to use those, um, you know, this downtime to, to do that. Um, I, I do know that other organizations have, have put their residencies on hold temporarily because they're trying to transition those residencies over to some sort of online forum. We can they can accommodate the, the, the clinical aspect easily. It's the didactic piece that comes with the RN residency that they have to transition over. And so many of them are also taking this downtime, um, the, you know, the, the calm before the storm to, um, 
to transition some of those residencies over. Um, I have not heard that residencies are being canceled or anything like that. It's it's really just they're taking this time more so to plan than than anything else. And and I agree, Kim. I'm I've got the comments scrolling on my phone here. I do agree. It is confusing for the students because we're we we've created these waivers at the state level to expand um, NCLEX testing primarily because Pearson is closed, but. Um, you know, I, I think that the hospitals are trying to maneuver their way <laughs> through all of this as well and, um, and and do it in a way that's safe and, and makes sense. So, and I see that you, yes, I'm sure you can help get those residencies online. So I do encourage you um, to, to reach out to, to, you know, your local healthcare systems if you have the capacity to help with that. Uh, so, so Monica just commented for perspective, nurse schools are not offering clear information on enrolling on enrollment or testing. Our programs on hold also, specifically the Lone Star College system. Um, so I know that I can speak to the colleges in general that um, they are kind of in a holding pattern right now because we don't really know what this is going to look like, um, you know, in June, July, and August. Um, right, right now, they're, they're estimating that in Texas, the peak is going to be around April 22nd, um, but we're not sure what's going to happen after that, especially if the stay-at-home guidelines are lifted too quickly, um, and then maybe there's a resurgence of the virus. Um, so I know a lot of schools are just kind of holding right now. They're going to finish this semester online, um, and they're not sure what's going to happen for the future semesters at this point. Um, do you guys, uh, Serena or Cindy, have any specific info? Uh, this was the Lone Star College system. Not specifically, just generally, I think. And, and schools are varying. Some are, are going ahead. Um, and with enrollment and registration, some are kind of holding off. Um, some are delaying their summer semesters because of the unknown. I'm, I'm hearing, you know, I think it really varies by community and by um, what's happening in that community. Uh, so Jenny says, I've seen jobs on usajobs.gov for graduate nurses to help with COVID-19 as well. Um, so there's another resource for you. Um, I did see an article about nurses that were being um, flown to New York to help with the, um, with the amount of patients that they have there. Um, we also have an issue in Texas where um, a lot of beds have been freed up. The governor announced that um, two weeks ago, I believe, um, that we do have a lot of beds freed up, but we don't have staff for all those beds. And so um, a lot of those places, like Cindy and Serena said, might be hiring fairly soon. Um, so keep an eye on, um, you know, on our website, too. We have the Career Center on there. If you just go to the main page and hit the Career button, um, and there'll be... You know, there should be jobs being posted pretty, pretty soon here for nurses to man all those beds that have been freed up. All right, so we don't have any other questions at this point. Um, so Serena or Cindy, do you want to jump back into anything else we haven't covered yet? Uh, Serena, if you could talk about the safe harbor. I know we had a lot of questions on our webinar last night. So I will, um, you know, again, I would say that in, in regards to Safe Harbor, um, some of the other questions that, that we've had from nurses um, were around, you know, I'm in a, in a high risk group 
And, and, you know, can I refuse an assignment based off of that or call Safe Harbor based off of that? And, um, and so the short answer is, is, is no, we still need to, um, we should not be refusing that assignment, especially if our organizations are following the recommended CDC or Department of State Health Services guidelines. Um, if you feel like you're in a high risk group, then you need to um, have a conversation with your primary care physician um, around what it looks like for you to, to take care of, of, of patients who are diagnosed or um, persons under investigation and, um, and, and then go have a conversation with your employer. Um, it's possible um, if you if you're comfortable disclosing those con healthcare conditions with your employer that you might be covered under the Americans with Disabilities Act and um, then your employer can um, work to provide reasonable accommodations for you and um, because we know that you know we we do have nurses who who fall into that high-risk category and um, we need to, to work on that. Some of the things that the CDC um, has recommended is that, you know, employers do consider minimizing face-to-face -face contact between these employees um, and assign worse work tasks that allow them to maintain a distance of six feet from other coworkers, um, customers and visitors, or even um, to do some telehealth work if that's a possibility as well. So, um, that, but it, that is a that is definitely an, an individual case by case um, scenario that you as 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 a nurse need to have um, a conversation uh, with your family or with your family excuse me with your employer about um, you know we also know that that one of um, our ethical duties is to care for ourselves and. Um, and if you know you may feel like you have an ethical responsibility um, to yourself as well and you may choose to make that decision to refuse an assignment anyway um, I, I think it's important to note and i would love for cindy to tag onto this because she says it very beautifully but the the level of protection might not be there for you if that's the decision that you choose to make and I think that the protection that, that Serena is saying is there isn't necessarily a legal protection um, in place if you determine that to best care for yourself, you're going to refuse a patient assignment in terms of, yeah, you, that could, you could end up losing your job or needing to resign in that situation. However, there is an ethical basis for it. So there may not be a legal um, requirement for an employer to honor that however there certainly is an ethical basis for that but i think the caveat is you don't do that you walk into the hospital you have the assignment and, and you refuse because that really doesn't give the hospital or the organization an opportunity to ensure um, adequate care for the patient so kind of like other procedures that you may have an ethical um, Concern about participating in it's a it's really incumbent on you to let your employer know in advance so they can plan around that if they're able to honor it or whatever um, whatever you work out from that. 
The other thing I would say, Carver, I will I will add is most of the time, you know, when I hear about safe harbor requests, the safe harbor request has to do with a patient assignment. And often it's the number of patients that a nurse is assigned to. And the nurse um, may ask for safe harbor and, and the expectation is that the, the organization tries to respond to that, either by understanding what the nurse's concern is, um, trying to come to a common understanding, addressing the, the nurse's concern if possible, um, in whatever way, bringing more resources forward, whatever that, whatever that circumstance is, but you try to resolve it and then move forward. And, it, and it, it can go to a peer review committee or if the nurse feels it's been resolved and doesn't need to, the nurse can withdraw the request. But the, but the goal is resolution. If we have a surge, and I know I experienced this once in my career during, it was influenza season and it was in the late 90s, and we had a surge such, such that our um, capacity like doubled. We were cleaning out offices to put patients in, in those rooms. So we did not have enough staff and there were no agency staff because every hospital in the county was in the exact same situation we were. So nurses had very heavy patient assignments. Anybody that had letters after their name was helping out in patient care, but it was not enough. In that state, nurses did not have safe harbor. In Texas, you do. If, if we get to that point in this state with a surge and nurses are faces, facing these um, implementation of contingency plans in which we are taking very large patient assignments, we're having to prioritize what care we give because we can't practice as we usually practice. It's a time of crisis. We're implementing crisis standards of care. In that, in that situation, it's very appropriate for nurses RNs, LVNs, APRNs to invoke safe harbor. Now, the employer, the organization may not be able to fix the situation because that there may not be options to do that. But at least but you as a nurse can access legal and regulatory protections against your license. I should clarify legal. You're not protected against a civil lawsuit. So you still could be sued by an individual patient. However, you're protected if you make an error. Um, you're protected from discipline against your license, which is very important. And I would say, and an attorney had told me in the past, that in that case, if a patient were to sue for, for the care or whatever, and you're in a crisis situation, certainly a judge and jury, that, you know, that would have to be considered. And the fact that you had requested safe harbor um, that, that puts, a, puts a context around that case that um, should be considered in any kind of civil suit. So um, we encourage, and, and we did have a discussion, um, TNA's president had a discussion with um, the president and board of the Texas Organization of Nurse Leaders, and there is support for staff nurses to um, invoke Safe Harbor if we reach this crisis um, surge um, so that they can access protections that they deserve to have when working in that situation. Um, so I just want to reiterate for some people that might be joining us that uh, droplet precautions are still the standard 
Um, and so, you know, surgical masks should be fine for the moment. Um, the N95s are really when you've got aerosolized um, particles in the air. So if you're very close to a patient um, to where they're breathing on you, essentially. Um, there's other procedures that cause aerosolized particles, including um, tracheal intubation, non-invasive ventilation, um, tracheotomies, bronchoscopies, uh, nebulizer treatments, manual ventilation. I know some places are no longer doing manual ventilation because of this. Um, also, uh, the BiPAP masks um, can also create aerosolized particles. Um, so those are a couple things to keep in mind, that those are the situations where you really need the N95. And the surgical masks should be enough in the meantime. And we continue to work on the PPE shortage. Um, and we know that uh, the governor announced earlier this week that they um, had gotten a large amount of PPE and that they've uh, created a partnership with the manufacturer that is now working 24-7 to produce more masks. Um, so hopefully that will um, be distributed out to nurses pretty soon. Um, we have about 10 minutes left, so please get your questions in if you've got them. Um, here's one from Noel Lani. Hope I pronounced that right. Uh, what should we do if we fail the N95 test and get assigned to a COVID-positive patient? A few of us don't fit the mask. Um, so what she's referring to is that the seal on the mask needs to be right, and it's got to be the right size for you. Um, and so we do know that there's a shortage in that, too. Um, Cindy, what, what should a nurse do if they um, cannot wear those N95 masks the way that they're supposed to be worn? Well, the PAPR, and I'll also tag Serena on this response, but I would think that PAPR is the option when you're not able to fit with an N95. Serena, do you have more to? And, and I would say, um, I, I saw that question come through, and my first question was, well, what would you have done if you were assigned a tuberculosis patient or, or another airborne isolation patient um, outside of this pandemic? And, and I would say that the you know, if if you are concerned about being placed in um, a position where you will be in an aerosolized procedure while taking care of a COVID patient, then, um, you know, you would need to, to have a PAPR um, available to you if your organization um, has them available. Um, but again, as Kanika mentioned earlier, um, these patients are droplet precautions, so you shouldn't have to worry about it from that perspective because um, a, a level three surgical mask um, will suffice in, in this situation. And if, and, you know, if your patient does end up needing to be intubated or something like that, you would, um, you would either, either, either need to have a PAPR available to you or you would need to remove yourself from the room um, because you wouldn't be protected at that point. So, um, but I would say that in this case, it, it wouldn't be any different than what you would have done before. Yeah, and a lot of places are doing um, the surgical masks plus face shields. That helps a lot too. Um, and we know that some places in Texas are trying to manufacture more face shields. I believe um, Texas Tech um, basically took all of their 3D printing machines and they've started making face shields. Um, so that's another option for you. And those can be decontaminated and reused as well. Um, next question is uh, of concern. We've got a 60-year-old RN or NA um, with IDDM, cardiac disease, uh, known risk factors to higher morbidity with COVID-19. So if you fall into that group, what should you do? 
Again, I think that's a conversation. You need to have a conversation with your primary care physician about your risk factors and taking care of, of patients diagnosed with COVID-19 or persons under investigation. And then you need to go back and have a conversation with your employer, um, include your, your nurse leader in that conversation as, as well as HR, employee health, whatever the process is inside your healthcare organization to then begin discussing what those, what the, what the accommodations should look like for you um, because if you are a person at risk, then you know you have to be willing to to one disclose that to your employer and then two partner with them um, so you can assure that you are not your health isn't put at even greater risk. Thanks, and I um, just remembered that uh, another resource, if you have been laid off or furloughed and you're looking for work at this time, is the state of Texas. They have a lot of long-term care facilities that they are hiring for constantly, um, so that might be an option for you in this time as well. All right, we have about um, five minutes left here. Uh, do either of you have anything uh, to add? I would just say, um, i just like to say thank you for, for joining us. Thank you for your questions. Um, we do have a helpline, a call line. Um, if nurses have specific questions that they, can, that they can ask, we're trying to be as responsive as we can. And again, as we understand your concerns, we're able to take those forward um, to various groups that are meeting across the state trying to address those concerns. Um, I, I did want to add that we are planning to have a, a couple of webinars next week. Um, we do have a congressman who's um, um, in, very interested in um, having conversation with nurses and, and specific nurses in specific areas. So we are going to be arranging that as well as, um, you know, we kind of have this really contradiction in terms of nurses are being furloughed and are without work. And then we have nurses that are, um, or hospitals that are also trying to gear up and ramp up for an increased census. So during this time that individuals are furloughed, we are looking at, and many organizations are looking at how they can best be utilized if we have the surge. And in that group are APRNs, particularly CRNAs. Um, we're hearing about a lot of nurse practitioners that have been um, laid off. So the question is how can they best be used in these new contingency models. CRNAs certainly are expert in airway management, they're critical care nurses, um, NPs, CNSs have all worked as, um, or most of them have worked as RNs and um, have a, a, skill, a cadre of skills that, that can be applicable in the acute care environment. So we are going to be hosting um, a webinar in collaboration with the APRN Alliance, which is a group of all the APRN um, organizations in the state um, next week and so stay tuned that's on very early development but we're trying to be just in time um, responses to what we're hearing is going on so for those that are APRNs and are displaced um, we hope that that um, webinar is helpful to you as you may look for some interim work till things are back to normal all right and thanks I would Oh, I'm sorry, Konica, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, if you want to get the latest information on the webinars and everything we're doing, please follow us on Twitter. We're Texas Nurses ASSN on Twitter. Um, the thing about Facebook and LinkedIn is the way that their algorithms work, you might not always see things that we post. 
Um, but on Twitter, you can set it up to get notifications that will appear on your phone. And so um, you can click on the notification to read the rest of it. And so that's one of the advantages of following us on Twitter versus um, following us on Facebook. Uh, so please do that if you, um, you know, want to get the latest information. Otherwise, you know, check our Facebook page, check our website, texasnurses.org slash COVID-19. All right, Serena. I just want to say that, um, you know, I know we've, we've got a little, we've got a little waiting period right now. Um, we have not necessarily seen a huge surge in patients uh, across the state, um, perhaps maybe in, in certain areas of the state, but um, we aren't, we aren't quite overwhelmed with, with patients. I think we're more overwhelmed with, with emotion and, and anxiety around what's to come. I encourage you all to use this time to um, take advantage of that, of that downtime and, and take care of yourselves. It's Easter weekend. Enjoy time just reflecting and um, being present with yourselves and your families. And um, it, because that moment, it, it could get busy for us soon and, and we won't necessarily have this time to do that. So please take care of yourselves. I also encourage you to, to, this is a time for us not to point fingers and, and blame others for, for what's happening. This is a time for us to be um, tolerant and considerate and, um, and just kind to one another. Um, none of us, there is not a single person in this state who has, who has been through anything like this. We are all learning together. We are all trying to work together and um, Texas is very fortunate that we are, we have some pretty incredible nurses and clinicians um, in our state and we, um, we are some of the most solution oriented people I've ever met. We need to continue to be solution oriented during this time and we need to continue to work with one another during this time to um, to begin preparing for for what's to come so thank you i am i've always been very proud to be a nurse but i am even more proud right now and i am extremely proud to be a texas nurse thank you all so much for everything that you're doing and um please continue to reach out to us please continue to to communicate with one another um that is critical for all of us right now so thank you. Thank you all very much for everything that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. That was really well said, Serena. Um, and we want to thank everyone who's been uh, putting up white ribbons in support of healthcare workers, white ribbons on their trees. We've got a bunch of pictures that people have sent us. Um, and so I know that everyone out there really appreciates that when they're driving back to work where no one else is working, but those nurses have to go in um, and the technicians and the respiratory therapists and doctors and everyone else that makes um, healthcare work. And so um, I know all of us are really grateful, the ones that have to stay at home. Um, we're staying at home to do our jobs so they can go to work and do their jobs. Um, so if you would please, um, you know, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Um, we did have a couple other questions specifically about the N95 masks. Um, yes, if you're smelling scents while wearing it, it is not a proper fit. That is actually the way that they test the fit of the masks. Um, so that's definitely something that that nurse should discuss with their supervisor. Um, and then uh, 
there's another question about if we can't be fit the traditional way for N95s. Um, I'm going to let Serena maybe take that question offline um, and we can respond to you a little bit later. Anne, thank you for putting that question in. Um, and we appreciate everyone who is tuned in. Uh, we've got to jump off to get on another call um, to coordinate again with nurses across the state um, and try to make sure that we are all informed and that we're staying on top of this. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Um, and we will see you next Friday. It's not at noon, but it is at 4 o'clock. We've got a meeting at noon that day. And we are going to try to um, catch the governor's address next Friday and make sure that that gets incorporated into our Facebook Live at 4 p.m. next Friday only. All right. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you then. Thank you.